Tonight we'll be in Revelation chapter 12, and we are getting very close to actually being able to finish this book. Um, if we keep doing a chapter at a time, we're only a few weeks away, but we are over halfway through, and um, we haven't even been in it a full year yet, so we've done pretty good, I think, for me. <laughs> yeah. But we will see if we can finish Revelation chapter 12 tonight, and I'll try to bring you up to speed to where we are. But I'm going to read through it very quickly, if that's okay. We'll begin in verse 1 and read to the end. It says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, and she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, or seven crowns. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she bore her child so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, and she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea! For the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. All right. We can go home. Y'all understand it all, right? I want to remind you that we are studying a different kind of literature. We're studying apocalyptic genre. And what we're looking at here is writing that is meant to both reveal truth and at the same time make it obscure to where it's also difficult to figure out. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> would somebody get me a, a water out of there? Nikki, would you mind? Or a cup of water or something? So when we read this, I want you to understand that yes, it is difficult to understand. But the Bible gives us clues all throughout it. From, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it interprets itself in many places. And so we're going to be able to dig through this and be able to see exactly what is what as we go through this. But I want to remind you before we start looking at this of um, the age-old story of the battle between Satan and God. You remember that the... Um, 
when God created Satan, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that Satan was his most beautiful cherub. That he was the most beautiful of all of God's creation. He must have been a magnificent being. The reason I say that is because he even convinced a third of the angels that he could be God. And they were able to see God. So we know that he was a magnificent creature. And so in the beginning, the Bible tells us that before all of this was created and it was just God and the angels, the Bible tells us that Satan lifted himself up and he said, I will be like the Most High. I will set my throne above His throne. I will be exalted. I will be worshipped. Everything will worship me. And he wanted to overthrow God. But instead, he was thrown out out instead. But, now you remember, even though he was thrown out of heaven, he still had access to the throne room of God. How do we know that? Well, what can you think of any places or stories in the Bible that teach us that Satan had access to the throne of God? Job. Job. The Bible says that Satan and all the other sons of God or the angels appeared before God, apparently giving some kind of account to their activities. And it says that God asked Satan, where are you coming from? And you remember what Satan told him? Going to and fro the earth, looking for someone's faith to test, basically. And so God says, have you considered my servant Job? So that's just one example. But we also see that when Jesus was talking to Peter, He said, Peter, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. So, and, and here's what Satan is always doing. He's going to the throne room of God and he is accusing God's children who worship Him the way that Satan was supposed to. And he's accusing them and saying, remember what he said about Job? The only reason Job follows you is why? You've blessed him. You've got a hedge of protection around him. You have Look at the way you've blessed him. Anybody would follow you and worship you the way that you've blessed him, but you take all that away from him. He's not going to keep loving you. He's not going to keep worshiping you. He will turn... The minute you take stuff away from Him, He will turn on you and He will curse you. And He is constantly looking at God's people and He is constantly trying to get them to turn away from God, to distrust God. Same thing He did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Because remember, when Adam and Eve and creation was created, it was supposed to display the glory of God, enjoy God and worship God the way that... He was supposed to. And so now he puts, he casts Satan down to the earth that he created. And you remember what he told Adam to do with the earth? He said, have dominion over it, right? Have dominion over it. You rule over it. Satan decides, I'm going to take that command away from them. And he steps in and he starts to tempt Adam and Eve and they follow through with it. They distrust God. Satan says, has God really said that if you'll do this, this will happen? You can't trust Him. He just don't want you to be like Him. And they believed Him. And when they believing Satan, they distrusted God. They disbelieved God. And so what we have here is this age-old battle that is going on. But let me take you back to last week. Look at Revelations chapter 11 because I want to notice, I want you to understand how we get to chapter 12 here, okay? In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, look at what happened. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So basically, right here, a declaration has been made. When this last trumpet blows, this is the end. Evil will be tolerated no more. The destruction of it all is on the way. This is the final blow to all evil and to all sin. Alright? Now what happens in chapter 12 is we go back and we stop before we see the end, when the seventh trumpet blows, and we see the destruction of all evil. Before that happens, God shows John a vision. 
and he takes him back and he shows him the activity of Satan from the time of creation to the time of the end. And that's what you see in chapter 12. So you see, if you were to title chapter 12, you could say, Satan's activity and his final defeat in the end of the ages. That's how you need to see chapter 12, All right. And then in verses 1 through 6, what we're going to see, if you were outlining this, you're going to see his rebellion against God individually and against God's people as a group. So you're going to see that in Revelation chapter 1, in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. All right. And so let's look at it, if you will, to take to see what we're seeing here. First off, I want you to notice in verse 1, John says, a great sign appeared in heaven. Now I want you to notice all the times he uses the word great here too. In other words, the, the Greek for this is mega. Mega. So you could read it like this. And I saw a mega sign appeared in heaven. So when he's saying great, what's he saying? Big. I saw a big sign appear in the heavens. But now there that's one thing you need to remember as we read this. Another thing you need to remember is that it was also something that was not literal. He's seeing images and he's seeing kind of like what we... Remember in the Old Testament when somebody would have a dream and then when they would have that dream, there would be an interpreter that would come and say, here's what your dream means. When you saw this in your dream, here's what it was. When you saw this in your dream, here's what it was. Well, here we have a dream or a vision, if you will, that John gets from God. And then he's going to explain what he sees. And so let's see what he sees in heaven. So first he says, I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So here's your first major player in this vision. A woman. And she is clothed in the sun. The moon is under her feet, or she basically she's standing on the moon, if you will. And on her head is a crown of twelve stars. What do we do with that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go, if you will, to Genesis chapter... Let me see if I can find that again. I don't remember where I put it. I think it's 37 maybe. Hang on. Did I not write that down? Yeah, Genesis 37, verse 9 through 11. Now this is a dream that Joseph had. Joseph was one of the twelve sons of Jacob or Israel, right? Joseph's mama was Rachel, the mother of the twelve tribes of Israel. So you have Jacob or Israel, Rachel, the mother of Israel, and then the twelve sons, all right? And this is a dream that he has. In Genesis 37 verse 9, it says this, Then Joseph dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? And now notice how his father interprets the dream for him right here, okay? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in mind. So we can take that image from the Old Testament that God gave to Joseph and that Jacob or Israel interpreted it. And he said, basically, the son is him, his father, Joseph's father, or, it, or Jacob himself. The moon is the mother of Israel, which was Rachel. And then the eleven were the brothers of Joseph. And if there are eleven of them, Joseph makes how many? Twelve. And so when we come here and we see this image, the first clue that we can determine who this woman is in this vision is the fact that she is very much similar to the same vision that Joseph had of Israel bowing down. The, the whole family of Israel would have been 
Jacob himself, his mother, and his eleven brothers, and they were all bowing down to him. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to him. Here in verse 1 of chapter 12, we have a woman, one woman. She is clothed with the sun, which represented Jacob in Genesis. She has the moon under her feet, which represented the mother of Israel, Rachel, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. So I know that's a little bit different from Joseph's, but it's similar enough to say, okay, maybe this is who? Who is this woman? Israel as a whole. The same as it was in Joseph's vision. Israel as a whole. Maybe. Let's see what other clues we find about this woman. Verse 2. The next clue is that she was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Well, let's just carry what we think we found out about her in verse 1 on to verse 2. If this woman really is Israel, why would she be in birth pains and in agony trying to give birth? What was it that every Hebrew woman desired to have more than anything else in their life? The male child. Because in Genesis chapter 3, God told Eve, your seed, the seed of the woman, is going to crush the seed of the serpent's... is going to crush the serpent's head. And so... Every woman, that's the reason why it was so important to Israelite women to have children. And if they didn't have children, they believed that it was a curse from God because God skipped over them the opportunity and the blessing to be able to give birth to the the Messiah, the male child. This is the reason why whenever Cain killed Abel, whenever um, Eve gave birth to Seth, she praised God and said, I have gotten a male child from the Lord. Why was it such a big deal that she got a male child? Why not a female? Girls bad? Well, maybe. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me. My allergies are acting up. I knew that'd come from you. (coughs) But... um. Honestly, this is the reason why they were always looking for the male child. And if you remember, they were in agony wanting to give birth. Every time they tried to give birth to the Messiah, what happened? Whenever Eve thought it was going to be Cain or Abel, what happened? Cain killed Abel. Satan come in, he tore that apart. Then Seth comes in the picture and she says, okay, because remember, Abel's dead... And it can't be Cain. Why can't it be Cain? He's a murderer. And so, and then um, give me some other examples where you saw um, Israel in, in labor pains and in agony trying to give birth to this child, to this male child. So that's a good example. So whenever the Messiah really did come... Herod was trying to kill... He killed all the babies under the age of two, I believe it was, in Bethlehem. Somebody give me some Old Testament examples. Anybody else try to kill all the babies? And their mother had to put him in a, in a little basket and send him down the Nile River? Who am I talking about? Moses. Moses. Not only that, but what happened to Joseph right here? What happened to Joseph? His own brothers tried to, ki- tried to kill him, sell him into slavery, right? And then um, the whole nation almost died from famine, but because his brothers had sent him down, Satan has been always trying to destroy the nation of Israel. Satan has always hated the chosen people of God, all right? And so, and David, when, when everybody thought it was going to be David and, and it was prophesied that the Messiah was come from the seed of David, what happened in David's life? But he, he ran for his life for most of it, right? Saul was trying to kill him, right? And so no matter where you look in the Old Testament, you see that Israel was always trying to give birth to the Messiah 
But the devil was always trying to kill her before she could give birth or to kill the child. Now, go with me to verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great, and here we have that word mega again, a mega red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his, and on his heads seven diadems. Alright? So, the next major player we've got here is a red dragon. Now, we believe the first major player is Israel as a whole as she's trying to give birth to the Messiah. So we're looking back in history here, okay? We're looking back Old Testament in the first few verses. And we're seeing this great red dragon. Well, if we want to determine who this great red dragon is, all you got to do is go down to verse 9. Somebody tell me what verse 9, who the great dragon is. Hmm? Satan. That's exactly right. He's the great dragon that was thrown down, the ancient serpent. He is called the devil. He is called Satan. He is the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And so we don't have to do much guessing on that. We know the woman was Israel. We know that she was pregnant and that she was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth for ages. And during that, I want you to notice in verse 4, we have another explanation of um, who, who this dragon is. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Who's that talking about? The angels that followed him. All right. Now, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, and so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So can we say with all the clues that we have so far that it's pretty certain the woman is Israel who has been prophesied she's going to give birth to the Messiah, the male child, alright? The dragon is Satan. And it's, we'll get more into the seven heads and we'll get more into the uh, ten horns and the, uh, the crowns on his seven heads. We'll get more into that in chapters, I think... Um, 16 and 17 maybe. But we'll get into that so that you can see what they are. Basically it's kingdoms is what it is. Kingdoms that He rules over. Kingdoms that rise up to great power. Some of them in this situation already have risen up to power and have already passed away. But we'll get into that in a few chapters on down the road. Let's just look at the major players right now. And then in verse 5, we see that the woman or Israel gave birth to the male child. So... You see what he's doing here in this vision? He's just showing John the history. Showing John that this woman has been the woman that has always been prophesied that the male child is going to come from. This dragon is the one that has always stood before her, always trying to devour her or the male child that is coming. And we can look back in history and we can see all that, right? And then notice what else he says in verse 5. She gave birth to the male child, who one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And again, we could go back and we can look at Scriptures on that to where the Bible talks about Jesus is going to rule the world, rule all the nations with a rod of iron. You're going, you can see it in Revelations 19. You can go back to Psalm chapter 2. Matter of fact, if you want to, Hold your place in Revelation and go back to Psalm chapter 2 where you can see this so that we know we're interpreting these characters correctly. And again, one thing I want you to see tonight is that the Bible interprets itself. Yes, it can be difficult to understand, but apocalyptic literature actually was meant to be a little difficult to understand, was meant for you to have to do some, some research and some translating. And so in Psalm chapter 2, verse, um, where is that at? Yes, there you go. Actually, start in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession and you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
And so there again, we know that he's talking about the Son of God, the Messiah. And he makes a prophecy here and he says, I'm going to give you as your heritage or as your inheritance all the nations. And you are going to go in and demolish all of the sin and the evil that's in it with a rod of iron. And then we're going to make them all new again. But Jesus is the one that it's talking about here. So again, going back to Revelation 12, verse 5. Y'all hang with me. I know this is a little boring at first. But I want you to see that the evidence is there to say who the woman is, who the dragon is, who the male child is, so that we can make the interpretation correctly. So verse 5 again. The woman gave birth to the male child, even though the, de- the, the devil tried to stop it, right? Tried to devour it. God's promise came to pass. And the male child she gave birth to is the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to His throne. What's that talking about? She gave birth to Him and He actually became man. But He was caught up to God and to His throne. What's it talking about? Jesus, but what? The resurrection. The death, burial, and resurrection. That's exactly right. And so you see His life um, in verse 5 right there. And then His ascension unto the the throne of God. And then in verse 6, And here's what happened after His ascension. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, what is 1260 days in years? If you're looking at a Jewish calendar of 360 day years instead of 365 day years. Three and a half years. You remember what we looked at in uh, Revelation chapter 11 when he was telling us, um, or actually, yeah, look at verse uh, 2 of Revelation 11. He told John, Don't measure the court outside of the temple, of the Jewish temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for how long? Forty-two months. And forty-two months is how many years? Three and a half years. And then in verse 3 of chapter of chapter 11, And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for... 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. So what you have there is this time of three and a half years that the Jews are going to be persecuted, right? Three and a half years the Jews are going to be persecuted heavily. And so the woman, or Israel, Jews, are going to have to flee into the wilderness where she is going to have a place that is prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days or three and a half years because chapter 11 told us that the Antichrist is going to make war on them. Satan is going to be very angry with them and you're going to find out why in chapter 12 as we continue on. So before I confuse you, let's get get back to chapter 12 verse 7. Now here's what I believe we go to here. I believe in verse 7, we start looking at what happens. What happens at the last 1260 days? The last three and a half years on the world, this is what happens. We're not looking at history anymore. Now we're looking at future. I want to show you why. Let's keep going. In verse 7, he says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. A lot of people translate that or interpret that and believe that he's actually talking about back when he was thrown out of heaven the first time. I don't think this is the case. I think what he's looking at is for the last 1260 days of the creation, before it's all completely destroyed, Satan is going to make one more rebellion up in heaven. Because remember, right now he still has access, right? He's still able to go before the throne. God still allows him to have access. But there is coming a day when God's not going to let him stand before the throne accusing the brethren any longer. All right, And then he's going to be cast out of heaven 
And when he is cast out, he's going to be angry because he no longer has access to heaven and all he has is here and he's going to turn on the people of God. Let me prove it to you. First off, look at verse 8. He was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. That's interesting, right? Alright, keep reading with me. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Y'all see what I'm saying there? So up, even right now, Satan still has access. Now yes, he was thrown out in the great rebellion at first. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to earth. But for whatever reason, God still allows him access to the throne. But at this point, there's finally coming a day in the future where God says... No more access, I'm done. No more accusations. You will not stand before me anymore. You are through here. And Michael and his angels go to war with Satan and his angels and they cast them out. And then great rejoicing goes on in heaven because the devil has no more place. The great accuser has been thrown down. And listen, that's what has brought on each and every one of our troubles here on this earth. As Christians, as Christian, every tear you've ever shed has been because your accuser stood before God and said, if you do this, they'll turn their back on you. Let me do this. They won't praise you anymore. Let me do this and they will curse you to your face. So can you imagine the kind of rejoicing that is going to take place whenever the accuser of the brethren is finally cast down and there is no more access to him whatsoever. And so in verse 11, notice what happens next. He talks about how they conquered this one that accused them. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. That's our first, that's our first only hope, right? I mean, if it weren't for the blood of the Lamb, we wouldn't even be brethren, all right? They conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and they conquered Him by the word of their testimony because it's not enough just that Jesus shed His blood. If that were the case, the whole world would be saved. But the whole world's not saved. It has to be the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their faith. And then finally, they endure in it. Look what it says next. For they loved not their lives even unto death. And this goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 and 13, when he said, In the end days, the love of many is going to grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this goes back to, go back with me to Hebrews chapter 3, because this is an important verse for you too. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 is one of them. Notice it says, Christ is faithful over God's house as His Son, and we are His house if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So in other words, the evidence that your faith was genuine, no matter what the accuser tried to throw at you, no matter how many times the accuser came and said, if you do this to him, his faith will fail. If you do this to him, his faith will fail. No matter what it was, the evidence that your faith was genuine is that you held fast to your confidence in Christ. You held fast to your boasting in Him. You held fast to your hope all the way to the end. Now look with me again at verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 3. Look what he says here. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
the evidence that you are actually a sharer in Jesus Christ is that you hold your original confidence in Him all the way to the end. And if you don't hold your confidence in Him all the way to the end, did you lose your salvation? It says the way you know you were a sharer in Christ is that you stayed true all the way to the end. And if you didn't stay true to the end, the evidence is that you were never a sharer in Christ. You never had a part in Him. Your faith was never genuine. It failed the test. Satan came and they tempted you with riches and cares of this world or he tempted you by bringing trial against you or go read the parable of the sowers. There's all kind of ways Satan tries to come and snatch it away. But the one whose faith is genuine, they prove it. And the way they prove it, they hold fast their confidence all the way to the end. And no matter what Satan tries to throw at them, they do not stop trusting in Jesus Christ. So verse 11 of chapter 12 says here, they conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. They persevered even if it meant their death. And that was what proved that their faith was genuine. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Why? Why should we rejoice? Because He ain't coming to accuse no more. Satan's got no more place here. He's done. He will never come before... At this point, He'll never come to the throne room again. He is His access is done. But, look what He says next in verse 12. But woe to you, O earth, and sea. Why? The devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So there again, what we're looking at here is the last 1260 days. The last three and a half years, Satan is finally thrown out. He has no access to the throne anymore. Heaven is rejoicing, but whoever's here, oh Lord, (laughs) woe. Woe to you, because he has come down. Remember this great dragon, he was a mega, right? This dude is a bad dude. Now yes, as Christians, we have no reason to fear him. But you better believe something. If you wasn't a Christian, (laughs) you ought to fear this guy. You ought to fear this dude. He is something else. And so woe to the earth, because the devil has come down to you in great wrath. There's that word mega again. Mega wrath. The last three and a half years, Jesus called it the Great Tribulation. The first three and a half years of the Tribulation, He called it the Tribulation. The last three and a half years, it's the Mega Tribulation. Here we are. And then in verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. He can't take his anger out on God anymore. He can't take his anger out on the angels in heaven anymore. Where is he going to send his wrath now? And not just Israel. Skip down with me to verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And who are the rest of her offspring? There you go. There you go the ones who keep the commandments of God and the ones who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So he's not just talking about Jews, is he? Now it's not... In history we were looking at Israel, right? Physical, ethnic Israel. In the last part of it, the woman now has turned into the woman and her offspring, which began with Jesus and opened up to all the Gentiles, correct? And so now... In the last three and a half years of tribulation, the Satan, Satan is kicked out of heaven. He comes down with great wrath and he is on our rampage after, yes, Jewish ethnic Israel, but also her offspring, all those that are believers of Jesus Christ at this moment as well. So let's keep reading in verse... Um, did anybody got any questions? I ain't slowing down enough to, for you to ask anything.
both. Some people use it for that, yes. But I believe personally this is the remnant that's left. And the reason I say that is because we've already seen it in chapter 7 to where God calls 144,000 Jews, right? And and as a result of the ministry of that 144,000 Jews, there were multitudes that were saved. We saw in the last chapter that there were two uh, supernatural witnesses that are that are preaching the gospel during this time that God sends. And so there is still going to be people being saved, but in great tribulation, in great heartache through this time. Any other questions? All right. Go with me to verse um, 13 again. And when the woman saw, and when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. And here that just stands for the three and a half years. A year two years and half a year. Three and a half years is what that is. So it's just different ways of putting it. Daniel referred to it as a time, times, and half a time. And so I think because of that, that's the reason why John references it as 1260 days in some places, 42 months in other places, or a time, times, and half a time in others. Because it fulfills... There's no question. Apocalyptic literature is meant to both reveal truth and obscure it some, right? And so whenever you look at all of these, there's enough evidence back in Daniel to help us understand we're interpreting this correctly, all right? So in verse 14, the woman is given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for the three and a half years or the 1260 days. What does this mean? Again, this is an image, right? This is, um, um, this is sort of like a dream, a vision, if you will. So it's not a literal eagle. What is this talking about? Well, let's use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. We're going to see another time when God rescued Israel on the wings of a great eagle. Exodus 19, verse 4. And he's talking to Israel when he says this. He says, "...you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians." and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself." So the imagery that God used in Egypt when He was delivering them from from the great dragon who at that time was Egypt, right? Because Egypt was just doing the will of Satan. That's all they were doing. And so the imagery that God used was that He bore them up on the wings of of a great eagle. But now we know that's not what happened, right? A literal eagle didn't swoop down and grab all of Israel and carry them off into the wilderness, did it? What, did, what actually happened? Well, plagues came by the, by the hand of Moses. The Red Sea split. They walked across on dry land. Um, God provided for them manna from heaven and water from a rock, and He nourished them in the wilderness. And so... We can use that image and go back to Revelation and understand that when verse um, 14 tells us that the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for three and a half years, he's saying that supernaturally in this time when Satan is thrown down to the earth, God is going to deliver Israel from this serpent and her offspring, so that no matter how hard he tries to get them, he's going to continuously deliver them, and they're not going. He's not going to be able to do anything to them. He is going to protect them. All right. 
And it, this is interesting. If, um, what is the name of that city? Petra? Huh? The, the, the mountain city, the city that they believe is where Israel is going to, that God has prepared that they're going to nourish him at. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Yes, Petra. P-E-T-R-A. Get on the internet tonight and look up Petra in Jordan. Petra in Jordan. It's just south of, of Jerusalem. It's not far off. It's a little city, not a little city, it's actually a pretty big city, that's carved out of the mountains and has been for years and years. Look on YouTube and see if you can find you a tour of it. It's pretty interesting. But many believe that this is the place, because the Bible says right here that there has been a place prepared by God, right? Look at what it said again. Go back with me to, um, to verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. It's interesting because what you're going to see is there's only one way in and only one way out of this massive mountain city. And it's through a, a um, area of in between two mountains that's just wide enough for a person to fit through. And that's the only way in and that's the only way out. And um, it's believed that no matter how hard the devil would try, that he wouldn't be able to, to, to get to them. But I mean, we don't know if that's what it is. All we know is that there is a place prepared for them to flee to, and that on the wings of great eagles and supernatural wonders, God is going to deliver them to this place, and she is going to be nourished. And when you look at this place, you're going to say, well, how are they going to grow food? Or how are they going to have water? Or how are they... Go back to the wilderness that they went to the first time. How'd they have food? How'd they have water? I mean, God nourished them. And so, if He did it in that wilderness, why in the world would you not think He'd be able to do it again? Right? So, that, that's an interesting tidbit for you to go and research tonight. And then, notice what it says in verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. And so I believe the flood here is representative of all the things that the devil tries to throw at him. And we're going to read about those in Revelation 13 through 17. We're going to see all the ways Satan tries to attack the woman here. All chapter 12 does is give us a summary of what all Satan has wanted, his activity. Chapter 13 through 17 gives us the details of Satan's activity through this 1260 days. All right? And you're going to see that when we get into it in the coming weeks. But the flood comes as he opens his mouth and he pours out a river after the woman, trying to sweep her away. But remember on the wings of great eagles, God carries her away in verse 16. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Clear as mud? So basically, summary, here's what you got. Chapter 12 is just simply... This is what the activity of Satan has looked like since the first rebellion in heaven and it, what it ends looking like all the way to the end. Basically, he knew Israel was going to give birth to the seed that was going to destroy him, and so his activity has always been what? Destroy Israel, destroy the seed. He's always been standing before. And then... In the last 1260 days, whenever he's finally cast out of heaven, uh, or actually, now ever since, ever since then, even he's been accusing the brethren. That's been his activity too, right? He's been accusing the brethren, trying to destroy God's people that way. And then there's coming a day to where the last 1260 days, he is going to do everything he can to destroy them because he has no more access to accuse them anymore. So now he's coming down with all of his wrath and he's going to pour it all out on, on them here on this earth. And that's the activity that is going to be taking place with Satan. 
Revelations chapter 13, we're going to get into the details of that activity in the last 1260 days. Here's what it looks like. So, I hope that with that outline that you'll be able to understand what we're fixing to go into and understand it a little bit better. What we're going to be looking at from here on out is all future. It's all future. We've been kind of bouncing back and forth between history and looking at things that have taken place. Everything we're going to do from here on out, all future. Any questions? I agree. Yeah, I agree. And that's one thing I, I got out of this whenever I was trying to figure out, you know, some of the things that it applies to me. Um, but it said there that um, the dragon was, this great dragon was always before the woman trying to devour the male child that was coming. But then it says, but the woman gave birth to the child. In other words, no matter what he tried, no matter what he did, God fulfilled His promise. Um, it's going to take place. It's going to happen. And the same thing is true for us. If God has said that um, this is what He's going to do for us, this is what He's going to do for us. It's also amazing too that when you see God shut Satan out of heaven for good, God didn't do it Himself. That's right. God didn't have to lift a finger. That's right. Michael and his angels got rid of him. Yep. Amen. All right. Any. Any other questions or comments? So there's Scripture to interpret Scripture again. When the enemy shall come in like a flood... And so the reference to the flood in that time was the things that the, enemies, that the enemy is going to do. And that's the reason I said that even though when we read these things it can be difficult to understand, it, it, it's really supposed to be on the one hand. And then on the other, God has given us so many scriptures of old that if we spend some time doing enough research, especially with the tools we have today, we can come across those scriptures pretty quick. And, um, and know that we're interpreting it correctly. Anybody else? All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time and your attention. I know this ain't the, the most um, entertaining Bible study, but um, y'all are digging through the hard stuff and y'all are, y'all are sticking with it. And I'm hoping by the time you get done with this, you'll have a little better understanding of the book of Revelation, and it won't be something you just stay away from, but you understand you can go to it and you can understand it. <laughs> You're right, you would have known, wouldn't you? <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, um, actually, that's where Indiana Jones was filmed as well. The Temple of Doom, I believe. That's where, that's where it was filmed. There are several movies been filmed. I'm telling you. Go home and, and look it up. You're going you're gonna to be amazed at what you see in the city of Petra. It's, it's amazing.